The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. James, first uh, prospect pod of the year. Good to be back with you for another season. Yeah, man. I know it. It kind of took us a while to get going this year. Uh, that's, that was my fault. Well, no. Say. I mean, it 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 was just where we live mostly. I mean, a couple weeks ago, uh, there was too much snow uh, to come into work, and then another. You know. We also dealt with like negative 40 temperatures one of those days. I mean, it just kind of comes with living in Wisconsin uh, yeah. in February. A week ago today, I think it was the negative 40 degree day, which was like negative 60, 70 below wind chill. That was really brutal. But yeah, warming up a little bit. I'm starting to really get excited for pitchers and catchers, spring training games to get underway. Excited to talk prospects with you all season, James. And we're going to start with... A discussion about the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational, which just started up with its first ever first year player draft. Um, with the way we did um, 
the the initial draft last year. There was kind of what, what kind of system do you call that? Yeah, it's, like it's called the Invisible Hand right. system, which uh, Brett Sayre of Baseball Prospectus uh, kind of came up with when he uh, started TDGX, which is another, which is a identical type of dynasty league uh, a while ago. Uh, but yeah, you you bid keeper spots in order to get draft spots. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's key to have something like this I, mean, I think the invisible hand works really well but you need something when you're doing a dynasty startup to make the draft order fair because there's obviously such a greater advantage to having the first pick second pick etc so um this was a you know a pretty fair way to go about it uh but it it results in there not being a typical player pool uh, for this this first year player draft directly after that because certain teams can only keep like 18 19 guys so there's a bit more talent in the pool than there will be for the the rest of the first year player drafts going forward yeah and so not everybody's gonna emerge from this five round draft with the full roster but they'll fill it out have a legal lineup by opening day um, i only have four picks in this this draft i traded away a couple picks got one in a trade so I'm in the long wait right now between rounds uh, three and four. Yeah, we uh, we were able to kind of make some trades and move up to get the third overall pick. Uh, and then we just have a bunch of random picks that we got in, in other trades kind of in these middle rounds here. So we're going to have uh, a smattering of picks here coming up. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's one of those types of drafts where I don't even I, – I get entertained just by watching other people – pick uh because draft off your your list (laughs) well you know i have i have my list my prospect list you know with all the guys that are available in the player pool sort of highlighted and then so you know whenever one of them goes i have to go unhighlight them and just sort of keep a tab of best available prospect and uh we are to the point in the draft where uh all the top 100 guys are gone uh the highest ranked player i think i have uh on my top 400 is in the 120s so uh the top 120 prospects are all gone and yeah there's there's a handful of guys in between 120 and 200 that are available but even that's gonna start drying up pretty quickly here so even with everybody knowing who your best available players really are you still got the guy you wanted at number three your top player available fell to you at three victor victor mesa signed with the marlins were you surprised that he fell, or did you kind of think maybe some of those other guys with maybe more more known names would would indeed go ahead of Mesa? No, we we weren't surprised at all. Uh, we well, you know, some of the people in this league have their own lists, like publicly available yeah. lists, and you know, Ralph Lifshitz, who was picking two, I knew he wasn't going to take Victor Victor at two, uh, and then Justin Mason, who was picking one. Uh, we we thought Justin might take Yusei Kikuchi number one, and then Ralph would take Jonathan India number two. Instead, it was flipped, and Justin took India number one, and and Ralph took Yusei Kikuchi number two. But uh, we were fully prepared for Victor Victor Mesa to be there, and we just had a bunch of kind of confirmation calls, Ian Khan and I, because uh, we sort of knew that was going to be the case. And like I have. I have Trevor Larnack just a, a couple spots behind Mesa, so they were just, you know, are we sure that this is the guy? Are we sure this is the guy? And, uh, yeah, so no surprises really with how that shook out at the top. Nice. So what do you like so much about Victor Victor Mesa's skill set? I know some guys who have been 
you know, somewhat similar coming to the States, you've been a little more, more hesitant on, but why are you all in on Mesa? Uh, it's just the hit tool. I, you know, I, uh, let's see, Julio Pablo Martinez, uh, Luis Robert, uh, Lazarito. I'm trying to think of other recent Cuban guys, uh, tools, the outfielders, but the like guy, the, the Red Sox signed. Oh, his name. uh, <laughs> Roos Castillo. Yeah. Yeah. The Roos, the Roos was, was set loose. A, yeah. I was big on Roos. Uh, but I mean, it, I, I typically kind of fade those guys when it's sort of power speed and like, if he hits, you know, you could be a superstar. Uh, the, the hitting just doesn't seem to translate. Uh, that well but uh, i like victor victor's hit tool more than the rest of those guys uh, i also really kind of like his makeup I, like i think making that transition uh from cuba at that age particularly like it's different when you come over at 16 because you're just you know you're kind of more of more of a ball of clay that can kind of be molded by the organization you come into but when you're like an adult and you come into a, a big league organization, I think work ethic and just sort of drive and uh, determination are, are huge factors that, that can kind of lead to success or failure. And I think Victor Victor really has uh, the type of traits that I would want to bet on. And then you throw in the tools. I mean, he's, he's got a chance to be a really good defensive center fielder, hit for a high average, make contact at a good clip and uh he you know he might be a 70 grade runner which obviously is going to translate into a, a awful lot of steals so this was not a draft class a 2018 draft class it was just not one to me where there was a like can't miss guy at the top uh like like Royce Lewis uh, a couple years ago I liked more than I like uh, Victor Victor today so I'm, I'm not saying I would have taken Victor Victor first you know, in, in most drafts, but in this specific draft, I think there's just this big cluster of guys that are really similar. And to me, Victor Victor is just a, a kind of a notch above those guys, but this is not a consensus top guy. I mean, a, a lot of people think it's India or think it's Nolan Gorman or think it's Nick Madrigal. I mean, there's, there's a lot of sort of dissent out there, but uh, to me, Victor Victor's the top guy. Yeah. I know a lot less about these guys than you, but even I, you know, looking at, you know, doing my prep for this was looking and I was like, you know, picking 13th, it's fine. There's not a huge difference between the guys up top. Obviously prefer to have some of these guys, including Nick Madrigal, but <clears throat> I was pretty happy to land Nico Horner. I think he's fine. I think he'll play a lot. The, the hits will carry him. Uh, but jumping back up to the top, we had after Victor, Victor Mesa and Kikuchi in India, Nick Madrigal, Nolan Gorman, Trevor Larnack, uh, Jordan Adams, Jared Kelnick. Is it Kelnick? Because I, I continue to hear Kalenic, Kelnick here and there. So I'm I'm really bad I'm gonna, at this. I I'm gonna just have to try to seek out some some clarification. Usually I just YouTube a guy's like, I mean, name and see an interview with him. I I still pronounce Johnny Manziel's name wrong. <laughs> so like I I just have there are certain uh, it's it's. I think I do better with the foreign last names than I actually do with yeah, the, uh, the U.S. last names. But yeah, I just butcher names. I'm trying to get better at it. So I, I made YouTube Jared Kalenic, Kalenic, see which one it is. Uh, Casey Mize, Xavier Edwards rounding out the top ten. Any surprises there in that top ten for you? Uh, you know, I think I think Trevor Larnack was a steal at six, but I wasn't surprised that he fell to six. It's just you, you just you know. 
at this stage in the game, you just know that there are certain people that are really high on guys like Nolan Gorman and, and Nick Madrigal. And so that that's not surprising when, when a guy like Larnock falls. This is a great year, like you said. You're picking 13. I mean, I think you could be picking six or seven and still get your top guy in, in certain drafts. Uh, Jordan Adams at seven, uh, you know, that's just a, a bet on the upside there, which I think is – is fine. I mean, it's, it's higher than I have him. Um, but I mean, if he hits, then that's going to look like a good pick. Uh, interesting to me that Casey Mize fell to nine. Uh, I had him ranked fourth. So, uh, that, that was really good value in my opinion, but I also wasn't super surprised to see people, you know, when you're on the clock, it's tougher to pull the trigger on the pitching prospect when there are still hitters out there. Yeah. As we got back, you know, closer to the back half of that top 10, I started to, uh, Get some hope, some build-up hope that Xavier Edwards might fall to me. That did not happen. He went 10. The reason I started thinking maybe it could happen is because, you know, I was flipping through the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. He's kind of buried in there. Like, he's in that organization. I think he's like 13th or 15th or something. So I had hope that maybe he'd fall. It did not happen. Can you kind of remind us why you're so high on Xavier Edwards? Uh, it's really elite speed um you know i i think early on i would kind of expect him to be like to have sort of a ceiling of of like d gordon with better on base skills which is obviously a, a heck of a fantasy player um i think there's power that he could unlock eventually uh maybe you know 12 homer power or something like that but to me just taking edwards i think you just throw the power out it's can he continue to hit and get on base enough to to kind of profile as a regular because i think you know if if the plate skills and the the hit tool kind of develop as i expect i think he could be a leadoff hitter who steals 40 plus bases a long way to go before he gets there and it's obviously a very deep organization particularly in the middle infield but uh, that's kind of the whole idea with Edwards is that it's it's not just like 25 steel speed. It's it's 40-plus steel speed. Yeah, nice. Nice if you can get it. That's for sure. Uh, the first pick that kind of generated some conversation in the CBS draft room chat was Alec Baum at number 11 to the Nitwits. That's our buddies um, Nick Schlain and uh, Josh Katzenstein. Picking 11th, Baum. I know you're the low man on Baum. Why is that? Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't really like him, uh, before the draft, uh, small state or a small school guy in college, uh, didn't really face, uh, a ton of premium pitching and, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that I think probably ends up at first base and, uh, just puts a lot of pressure on him to, I mean, he kind of has to sort of max out offensively, I think, uh, to be a, a big league first baseman. I thought it was a pretty bad pick by the Phillies. It was third overall, so I think if he had hit in pro ball, I think a lot of people would have bomb well well inside their top five. Uh, he didn't but, even hit a homer, did he? I mean, he was rough. he was pretty bad. Um, I and I, I I still love that quote that we heard on Sirius XM. Um, I, I, I think that was from like another show or something where he was just talking about how he's just got all these god-given gifts uh, (laughs) and is not worried about like analytics or anything like that nothing quantifiable just god-given gifts yeah Yeah. um it's great 
but you know, you know, he didn't hit. He he struggled. I mean, there's plenty of guys struggle after they sign and then go out and and do well in their first first full season. But there's probably some confirmation bias on my end where I just I didn't like him that much. He went out. He sucked, and so now I'm like, oh, I was right. He he's not that good. Um, I still think he should have gone in like the first round here. But I'd rather, you know, I'd rather take a guy like Marco Luciano. I'd rather take uh, Nico Horner, Jordan Groshans. I mean, I think there were a handful of other guys that would have been better picks there. But, um, you know, Bomb's got enough power and enough pedigree that uh, it could pan out. I mean, it's not like the 11th pick in a first-year player draft is a high-percentage pick all the time. I mean, that that's still probably a 50-50 shot of you getting a guy that that really pans out yeah a lot of people in the draft surprised he didn't go a little higher thinking oh, that was kind of a steal getting him there 11th but i'm with you that that's about probably where he deserves to go now james after pick 11 you and i were getting ready to play hoops with the rotowire guys i wanted to set set to auto as one does as one should do in a slow draft out of courtesy <clears throat> those listening <laughs> um but anyway so it was basically down between the top two guys on your prospect list. I had Nico Horner one spot higher than you did just because of his proximity. Luciano, certainly a a blue-chip asset, blue-chip stock, but he's 17 years old, just came over. So I liked Horner a little bit, but the Luciano is certainly a guy who, um, if he hits, could be a big difference maker in fantasy. What uh? What's kind of the backstory, and can you maybe tell us what the skill set is like with Marco Luciano? Yeah, so he didn't get the biggest uh, signing bonus this past July two period. Uh, I think there are actually a couple guys that that received more money, but by the time and those figures are agreed upon in a lot of cases, like well in advance of of July two. But by the time July two rolled around. Uh, I think he was the most exciting guy, kind of consensus, just based on uh, the tools and the upside. I mean, it, it's, you know, physical projection plays a big part in this, and he's just kind of got one of those uh, perfect, athletic, yet, um, you know, you don't see the body getting out of shape anytime soon. Uh, really, really nice swing, easy powered, all fields, uh, plus runner right now. Uh, there's a lot of questions about where he ends up defensively. He's probably going to get sent out as a shortstop, but he could end up moving to third or, or center field or even right field at, at some point. But uh, the the power, speed, and batting average upside are such that he could be a top 10 prospect at the end of the season if he looks good in, in rookie ball this year. So I, you know, I, I would have loved to have gotten Luciano in this draft he's you know another thing to keep in mind with a guy like that nothing is going to happen between now and like mid-june that's going to result in his stock going anywhere but up so like like he's just going to continue to increase in value until he debuts whereas a lot of these guys you know if they have a bad april bad may uh the trade value that you could get for them could go down so it's kind of like having sort of a mutual fund or something like that for for a few months uh, where you sort of know that the value is going to remain constant. Yeah, and I know that's what Derek Van Riper is viewing Luciano as, just a, a trade chip to tuck away in a, in a season in which he wants to compete. You need some of those guys to, to bring in some major league talent to, well, to push you over the top. And to add to add just a little bit more, like, uh, so I, I don't count Victor Victor uh, as part of 
the July 2 signing class because he didn't sign on July 2 and he's 23 or 22 or whatever. Uh, but if you just look back at like the top guys, um, sort of the consensus top guys, according to Baseball America, the past four seasons, uh, Vlad Jr., Kevin Maiton, and Wander Franco. So you have a huge bust in Kevin Maiton, who just got kind of fat and out of shape and uh, probably peaked as a prospect as a 15-year-old. Preach. <laughs> and then uh, you have two guys who are the number one prospect in baseball and number three prospect in baseball in Vlad Jr. and, and Wander Franco. So that's that's like the type of upside that you're you're banking on here. And I think, I mean, you could argue that that type of upside is worth like a top five pick, just the, the chance that you get the next one of those guys I mean, it. You can get aggressive on Luciano, and I think it's it's warranted. Yeah, I was you know on the fence there. I was fine to get Horner again. I actually had him one spot higher. He's not not good at second base, but man, he can hit, and I, I trust that he will hit enough. Plus, like the Cubs may be bad in like three years. Like he might, <laughs> might be their best player on that team for a good stretch. Kind of like a. I mean, not. I don't expect him to be Jose Altuve or anything close to that, but kind of like when Altuve was breaking in for the Astros and they were so bad. Um, Joey Bart went one pick after me. This is, of course, a one-catcher league, two utility spots. How much higher do you think Joey Bart should have gone if this were a two-catcher league? Uh, you know, maybe... Could he be like a top three guy? I, I wouldn't rank him that high. I would... So... You know, I think I had him ranked about like in the 12 to 15 range. Um, I'd probably have him ranked like seven, eight, nine, something like that if it was a two catcher league. You know, I mean, he's got the upside to be uh, the number one fantasy catcher someday. That's that's not lost on me at all. Um, But it's, you know, it's still just so risky. I mean, we think back to all the great catching prospects there have been you know as as minor leaguers uh it's it almost seems like it's like a 10 percent hit rate on those guys actually reaching their upside like the elite elite guys even like i mean buster posey was obviously an elite prospect um you know gary sanchez sort of surprised some people when he broke out because there'd been a lot of prospect fatigue there and i think he'd kind of fallen down lists uh, before actually breaking out um, but I mean, there's just tons of guys like you know Jorge Alfaro, Francisco Mejia, Matt Weeders. I mean, these are the types of guys that have kind of carried this same sort of uh, prospect cachet at the catcher position. That just seems to, I mean, there's just it's very complicated. I mean, we don't have to get into all that, but catcher's just such a risky uh, prospect position to to invest in in these drafts. And Joey Bart still hasn't played at an age appropriate level, and there's concerns I think about what the batting average is going to look like as he gets into the upper levels. But at a 14 and a one catcher league, that's a it's a great pick. JP Breen at 15 overall in this 20 team first year player draft went Alec Thomas. He's a guy I don't really know a ton about. Can you maybe fill me in on Alec Thomas of Arizona? Yeah, he's uh, was a prep outfielder. The Diamondbacks um, got a kind of a slew of guys sort of in the the middle of the the top 100 of last year's draft uh he really impressed a lot of people when he when he went out to rookie ball uh i was you know i'm still probably lower than than quite a few people on him just because uh, i don't see him doing much damage with the bat i I kind of i think i threw uh adam eaton comp on him when i wrote his outlook this year uh that's the type of skill set i see um you know if you think he's eventually going to 
develop some power, then this pick makes sense. I mean, he's he's got those leadoff hitter type of traits where he walks a lot, doesn't strike out very much, could hit for a high average. Um, you know, it's it's not like thirty steel speed. I don't think it's I think it's more of kind of like an eighteen to twenty five steel type of guy. So he really needs to hit in order to kind of pull that off and he's a ways away from the big league. So, um, I probably wouldn't have taken him there. I would have, you know, he would have been further down my board, but you know, at that range of the draft, there's a ton of guys going that I wouldn't take where they went. So, um, you know, it's not to pick on that pick specifically. Uh, Travis Swaggerty, 80 grade name. He goes 16th overall, Jordan Groshan, 17, Grant Levine, 18, 19, Matthew Libertor, and then 20, Seth Beer. And this is when I knew everybody was drafting off your list, James, and not others, because I know you're you're pretty low on Seth Beer. I actually kind of thought about him at 13 when I took Horner, but I trust you, James. I trust your expertise. <laughs> everyone everyone would take Horner over Seth Beer. Okay, I, yeah. I don't think – I don't even think there's – if so anyone an could find a list where Beer's it. ahead of Horner, then, then I'd love to see it. So I was an idiot for even considering it. No, that's fair. Uh, but no, why are you so down on beer? Is it just the defensive issues, or do you think uh, there are question marks with the bat as well? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's kind of two in the same because you know I don't think he's got a plus hit tool. I don't really think anyone thinks that. I, everyone loves the power, and that's great. But uh, when you're as bad of a defender as he is, you know. I know that they're still playing him a little bit in the outfield. I really don't see a team like the Astros ever really playing him in the outfield in the big leagues. I think it's just kind of DH only. And the amount of guys like that who have amounted to anything as prospects, I mean, I'm trying to think of the last guy. I mean, it's like guys like Willie Calhoun, Dan Vogelbach. I mean, those are the types of guys we're talking about here. So, uh, obviously big power, uh, not surprised that he got off to that type of start he did in in the lower levels because you know for a college hitter like that you're going to see a lot of mistakes that you can crush then he hit a bit of a wall when he got to high a i would expect uh further struggles in terms of strikeouts and batting average at double a and and triple a probably too so um i think you were very wise to pass over beer that's good that's reassuring uh 21 though we saw kind of a well, a bit of a change in the draft flow. He's our first big leaguer go off the board. And Alex Colomay. Colomay, of course, now in Chicago on the south side. Seemingly, if he doesn't have a leg up, he's neck and neck with Kelvin Herrera for the closer job. And I guess this kind of brings into to the discussion a larger question of just where should these major leaguers remaining on the board in a first-year player draft, where should they fit in with the with the guys who are first-time eligible? Yeah, I told uh, – so I, I tweeted out this whole sheet um, just for people to be able to follow along, and someone asked like really early, like after a couple picks, sort of like what uh, – whether people are going to be drafting for need, that type of thing. And I you know I said there's like three or four closers out there, and I would kind of expect them to start going sort of in the 15 to 20 range, and they didn't go until after pick 20. Um, so I was I actually thought that – some of the teams that might be trying to compete this year uh, would have gone closer over, you know, like Ryan Bloomfield, like defending champion. I, you know, I'm not surprised they took a prospect, but I also wouldn't have been surprised at all if he'd just taken a closer there because he, you know, I assume he's going to try to defend his title. 
Um, so yeah, I, that's kind of that range where you sort of run out of really exciting prospects that signed in 2018 and you start looking at, well, you know, if this guy's going to get saves this year, I mean, could I trade the prospect I take here for a closer in season? Like, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was actually sort of surprised that Alex Colome was the first closer off the board period because, uh, you know, just for reference, uh, Trevor Mays out there, uh, Hunter Strickland's out there at this point. Uh, Matt Barnes, who just went, might. I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to be the closer for the Red Sox when the season starts, but he might be if the season started today. Um, I would have probably taken. I like Trevor May. I think the most of of all four of those guys, and he's actually still out there. And the rest of them have all been drafted. Uh, the White Sox, you know, you mentioned uh, Kelvin Herrera, but um, I mean, they just the, some of their better prospects outside of their top six or seven are, are relievers or at least guys that might end up in the bullpen um so i you know i don't think alex Colome is even a lock to get 20 saves this year let alone after this year so i was sort of surprised that he was the first closer off the board but i mean it's it's closers i mean anything could happen i mean he could be the white Sox closer for the next two or three years for all i know so um. yeah i was actually the second person to take a big leaguer We'll talk about that in a second, but yeah, Colome, it's tough because everybody seems to be penciling him in, but it's like they're paying Herrera more. Who knows? They could always keep Colome around, and if that's the case, if they want to in 2020, you know, it'd be probably nice for them to keep that arm price down, limit his save chances. So, yeah, not a lock that he's the primary guy at all. The guy I took was Ryan Presley, not any of those other closers you mentioned, but Presley's altered pitch mix after joining Houston, the dominance he showed, it really isn't about a save speculation type of thing. It's just that, you know, in a 20-team league, by my numbers, he's a guy you put in and pretty much leave in, and he's a plus. And that allowed me to kind of pick my spots with guys like Jacob Junis and Luke Weaver. Yeah, I I think that that was a good pick. I'm su- I, I was not surprised at all. I think I hit you up when it was a few picks from coming to you, I was like, you're going to take Ryan Presley, aren't you? And you're yeah, like, yeah. He knew. I, was, um, I mean, I wrote him up for the mag. I got to put my money where my mouth is. I mean, there's the pitchers, the starting pitchers that are out there. Uh, you know, it's, it's guys where I would actually expect Presley to return more value at the end of the year than, you know, guys like uh, Joe Ross. And I mean, even Sonny Gray, like Sonny Gray went in this, uh, right after you took Ryan Presley, I think it's kind of a toss up as to which, even like if Presley gets like three saves, I think it's a toss up as to which one of those guys returns more, uh, earned value this year in a, in a 20 team league. So I uh, did not, did not mind that pick at all. The thing about Presley is that, you know, the adjustments he made last season are just hard to factor into like an algorithm, a projection system. And I just don't know if the projection systems you see out there can really take into account just how good he was that spin rate. He also has the velocity. Love the total package with Presley, and you never know. I mean, I mean, Roberto Zuno blew like ten saves in twenty sixteen or whatever that was. Maybe he's you know. I just don't think he's as secure as some people think. He was fine last year. K rate was way down though. So you know, if he get comes into some saves, Ryan Presley, great. If not, I'm still fine with this because again, I just think he's a in a twenty team league, a pretty nice ratios anchor. In between those two major leaguers, Colome and Presley, we saw John Torres, uh, Luis Rangifo, Daniel Lynch, Julio Pablo Martinez, Geraldo Perdomo, 
Tristan Cassis, uh, Malcolm Nunez, Brady Singer, uh, Jonathan Ornelas. I picked Nick Solak or Elvis Martinez. Among that group, best pick, worst pick, any strong feelings? Uh, I think best pick. Well, so, you know, Rob Silver took Geraldo Perdomo at 26. He also took uh, Jordan Groshans at 17. I thought those were two of the best values of the draft. And, you know, I shouted Rob out because I – at first, he, he tried to take – because we, we have to use placeholders um, for guys that weren't in the system the year before, and there's a Christian Robinson placeholder out there. And uh, Rob took him at 17, and you know that would have been a heck of a pick if Christian Robinson had lasted to pick 17 in this draft. Uh, but he made up for that, that sort of snafu by, by taking Jordan Groshans, who I, I thought should have been like a top 12 pick, and then Geraldo Perdomo, who I thought definitely should have been a top 20 pick. Uh, this is part of, you know, you got to do your homework in a league like this and not just assume that you're drafting only from the 2018 draft class and 2018 J2 class. Uh, you have to also assume that there are prospects who signed in 2016, 2017 that are unowned because maybe they didn't break out until uh, later in the, the rookie short season calendar, or maybe they didn't start getting you know publicly hyped up until the off season. So yeah, guys like Geraldo Perdomo, John Torres, I thought were, were great values because you know, if we were just if if the MLB draft happened today and all those guys were available, I mean, Perdomo and Torres probably both go in the top ten. So um, that I mean, that's that's good value in that range. I didn't really think any of the uh, picks were all that bad. Uh, you know, I'm I'm lower on Julio Pablo Martinez than than most people. I'm I'm lower on Tristan Casas than most people. Uh, lower on Brady Singer. Uh, but it's we're we're in a range where it's like there's no right or wrong when when you're taking these guys. It's it's just personal preference, and uh, you know I'm going to be wrong about plenty of these guys that I have ranked where I have them ranked. So it's I'm not going to say that any of these picks were bad picks. So you know how I feel about second base prospects. So that kind of killed me to have to take a, a second one. Yeah, you got yeah, you know, thirty-two you picks. cornered the market on second base prospects. <laughs> yeah, after getting Horner, I did get Nick Solak. Once I started digging into the numbers, it's like, yeah, Solak may be second base, and he may not even stay there. But like Horner, maybe not quite as good a bat to ball ability, but Horner or Solak can really hit. He's got some speed, some power, probably more power than Horner. Uh, so I figured I'd take a chance. But do you see maybe realistically him being? a super utility type at the highest level. Well, you know, the hope I guess would be that he's a super utility type that plays every day, you know, like kind of, um, Marvin Gonzalez. Yeah. Marvin Gonzalez, Ben Zobris, that type of thing. Uh, you know, he's a better, I I think he's a better prospect than Brandon Lowe, who even is already in the big leagues. Um, so just, I think he's got a better hit tool. He's got more speed. He's a probably a better defender. Um, the, the Rays just have so just a glut of guys at every position in their minor league system. So, you know, we don't necessarily know when Solak's going to get his chance, but I uh, was really good at double A last year. Uh, you know, I, I think that if everything kind of goes perfectly, we could be looking at sort of Ian Kinsler esque production out of him. Uh, so I, that was a pick where Ian and I, I think we were picking, we were picking for a while at that point, but that was definitely the guy we were going to take at, at pick 46 if Solak had been there. 
Yeah, I got that pick in a trade, and I was like, I, I don't want to just take like Matt Barnes and Presley. I was pretty much locked in on taking Presley with that second pick there in the in the second round, but I wasn't quite sure. I decided to get a, a hitter because my team already has an imbalance. I didn't want to waste that pick on a reliever who could, you know, tomorrow if the Red Sox bring Kimbrel back, Matt Barnes is just nothing. He's a waiver wire type. Um, decent pitcher, but not a guy that really has to be owned in a league like this. You mentioned that Rob Silver had two of the best value picks uh, early. I also thought Domingo Herman was pretty sneaky for oh, him. Oh, yeah. What do you think about Herman as a guy who, even in like single-season leagues, maybe draft and hold, maybe even like a 15-team main with one of your last bench pieces, what do you think about him as a guy who could be a, a maybe not a, a real difference maker, but a, a usable option? Yeah, I <laughs> I really like that pick, and I actually didn't – you know, I can't remember exactly how I was sort of filtering guys uh, when I was looking at the the free agent pool uh, inside the draft room, but I never even came across him, and like I like I didn't realize he was available uh, until Rob picked him there. So you know, good find by him. Obviously, that's a, kind of another sort of cautionary thing when you're doing these drafts. Uh, the more work you put in in terms of just combing through the the player pool and and combing through you know which prospects are are actually out there uh the better off you're going to be um you know the the yankees you know i think they've got a a couple guys sort of waiting in the wings if a spot opens up in that rotation and uh, whether it be loisiga or herman i mean i think both of them have a decent amount of upside so yeah i I like that pick quite a bit in a 20 teamer and you look at a guy like paxton dealt with a lot of injuries of course cc and most teams anyway need eight starters mm-hmm. to get it through a season. So, yeah, I like that pick a lot. He's pretty sneaky. Hope to get some Domingo Herman shares. After that, we saw Noel V. Martinez go. Ryan Weathers, he was a pretty high pick. What are your thoughts on Ryan Weathers? Uh, pretty high pick in the real right. MLB draft. Yeah, the Padres, I think, liked him more than a lot of teams did. Uh, I didn't expect – when they took him, I think that was like seventh overall, I just assumed they were saving money to to get someone they liked a lot later. Uh, they they weren't saving money at all. They gave him, I think, slot value there. Uh, I sort of see a number three starter if everything clicks. And, you know, for a, a prep pitcher who's got a number three starter ceiling, that's not a guy that I'm all that excited to go out there and get. You know, if, I, if I'm taking a prep pitcher, I want it to be a guy like Ethan Hankins or, or Lenny Torres, a guy that I can really dream on uh, the upside with. Um, but, I mean, he's, you know, he could he could definitely be better than that. I mean, the Padres obviously saw something they really liked. You saw Justin Bohr go one pick after Ryan Weathers. I was a little supr- bit surprised that he went to, you know, fell that far, just because he was clearly the top hitter available and a guy who could help a team this season. But he went 40th. Micker Adolfo, 41, Brennan Davis, 42, Lenny Torres, 43, Kyle Isbell. I was pretty, I was kind of hoping he might. I didn't really think it happened, but something maybe he'd fall. Uh, kind of interesting. Mariel Bautista. Then you guys could, took Clark Schmidt of the Yankees. No, he's a pitcher, so I kind of had him crossed off my list. But uh, what does Clark Schmidt bring to the table in terms of stuff? Uh, Plus fastball, plus slider, uh, changeup flashes plus. Uh, he, you know he's he's coming off a of Tommy John surgery. He he missed uh, the the Yankees took him I think 16th overall 
in 2017 and he'd undergone Tommy John surgery like two months before the draft. So it's like, it's not like they were surprised at all by this. They liked him that much to, to take him there. And he really looked impressive at times last late last season when he finally did return. And, you know, I love uh, the Yankees have a pretty good track record of developing guys with lesser stuff than Schmidt. So I think, you know, with his repertoire, uh, there's a pretty high ceiling here and just kind of given his age and, you know, the fact he was a college pitcher and the stuff and everything, I, I think he could move pretty quickly. I wouldn't be surprised if he got aggressively assigned to like high A or something to start the year. Uh, might even finish the year in triple A. He's, you know, I, this is sort of a, a value area to me of like the the market where people, like you said, like you had him crossed off because he's a pitching prospect. I mean, I think there's value in taking these high upside pitchers, not necessarily to just roster them on their entire journey to the big leagues, but these guys uh, that you're confident in having good minor league seasons are going to boost their stock in a big way. And, you know, you'll be able to turn a profit, whether it's via trade or, or maybe you just really like the guy and hold him all the way to the big leagues. I mean, that's what I've done uh, in, in other leagues with guys like Walker Bueller, guys like Jesus Lazardo. I mean, there's, there's always um, sort of a, you know, a good chunk of the league just has no interest in, well, he's a pitching prospect. He's a, he's a long ways away. Well, if you have really good stuff, uh, you're not necessarily a long ways away. Like we, we always see these guys that, that really have breakout seasons with, because you know, they were kind of predictable that we could see coming. They go from like low A to double A in a year or high A to triple A in a year. I mean, it, it's, it can usually be a, a quick path to the big leagues if you have Schmidt stuff. So uh, we were pretty happy to get him there. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I three of the four minor leaguers that I kept were pitchers: Mackenzie Gore, D.L. Hall, and Griffin Canning. So I did kind of do that, but I'm kind of rethinking that now. Probably wasn't the smartest idea. Um, I'm going to be having to fill my minor leagues though through the the Fab system when this is over. So maybe I'll, I'll grab some high upside guys there. Hunter Strickland went. Eduardo Nunez. We started seeing more major leaguers come off the board. Cole Wynn. Parker Meadows and Matt Barnes finally going 51, getting us up to date. James, um, this is, I think, is the first league I've ever been in that actually allows trading during the draft. Pretty cool. We saw a blockbuster today, too. Could you kind of break that down for us? Yeah, this one kind of blew my mind. Uh, We had the... Let's see. We had J.P. Breen uh, trading Alex Kirilov to the process, which is uh, Tom Trudeau and Greg Wellemeyer. And J.P. got back Estevan Floriel, O'Neill Cruz, and Wander Javier. So, you know, I think the – I think Tom and Greg get a top 15 prospect – and JP gets three guys who, you know, there's there's a kind of a wide array of opinions on. Everyone agrees that all three of those guys have really high ceilings. So this is just not one of – it's not a trade where I think it's fair to judge it at this point, like, and say who won it or who lost it. Um, you know, I think a lot of people would side on the, the side of getting the best guy in the deal unless it's – unless, like, the, the – best guy in the other package is like a, a close to Kirilov. Um, so I think that's probably where I would side just right now. But in two years, if it looks like JP 
crushed that deal. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, those those three guys he got back have a ton of upside. I just think Kirilov is is kind of a sure thing uh, to be a number three, number four hitter in the big leagues, and I think he'll probably get there in 2020. Nice. I imagine you and Ian are, you know, tinkering around, testing the waters. You guys love trading, which I respect. Uh, Ian in particular. Um, I'm not, you know, in the market right now to trade, but I think I'm going to have to do something to try to catch you guys. I plugged the teams into the software, and good God. You and Ryan Bloomfield, the defending champ. Uh, your teams are, let's just say, head and shoulders above the rest right now. We'll see um, how things actually play out. But James, a couple of miscellaneous things I want to touch on before we sign off. First of all, we took home the FSWA Award for Best Baseball Publication yesterday. Congrats to you. Great work. And you listeners out there can order this year's edition of the magazine, which are due back from the printers this week, rotowire.com slash magazine. Second, Ian Kahn, who I just mentioned, he does have his Dynasty League rank, or Dynasty rankings up. He's been brought on as a Dynasty contributor. I'm very excited about that. Definitely check out those that top 400. I don't know exactly how often he's updating it, but I know he's very diligent and that those are very good. Um, third, James. Well, I, I'll just step in quick and say like sure. he, those are not going to be updated the same way that uh, like my top 400 prospect rankings are updated, where it's kind of a continuous thing. Yeah, not a, not reasonable to expect him to do that. I mean, and it's you're just, all over that. It's, yeah, it's fraught with complications. I don't, I don't even think it would be a great product if we tried to keep those up to date. So it's going to be, but it will be much more frequent than I was able to do when, when I was in charge of those. I think we're going to, we're talking, you know, at least four times a year, maybe up to like six times a year, uh, just kind of whatever, uh, fitsy and schedule best. And there'll be a accompanying article and, you know, podcasts, radio appearances, all that stuff. Uh, every time he does do a, a full update. Nice. I like how you do it because you're like you get a, out ahead of uh, trends and performance and update them. But yeah, expecting the a full dynasty ranking with major leaguers mixed with minor leaguers, expecting that to be changed is just unreasonable. And I'm with you that the product would be better just you know holding firm for a while than every now and then updating those. So that's exciting. Finally, you know we're doing our kind of our sign off thing this year, and this year it's top twenty memorably bad hip-hop singles you know it's hard to really round up the worst hip-hop singles of all time but memorably bad ones didn't get a ton of time this week to uh talk about it but what kicked the whole thing off and so i'll, I'll put it at number 20 for me is pass the curvassier diddy and buster rhymes the hook well, not not catchy at all just straight up annoying <laughs> and just terrible very annoying uh you know i think Young me probably watched that music video and was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But, like, yeah, I mean, I, I can't stand that song right now. Uh, I'm going to go with Rock Superstar by Cypress Hill. Uh, I kind of like that song, to be honest. I, I think it, the Dan Patrick show is what's kind of killed it for oh, me. Oh, yeah. I, think I don't they, listen to that. So. I, well, I don't either, but they get, it gets played in the office sometimes and – feel like they use that to come back from every commercial break and i don't know i'm picturing a bunch of like people that think they're kind of cool like rocking out to it and i don't know it's just kind of a lame song um 
Did we want to talk about TGFBI? Oh, yes. That was the other thing. I just forgot it. So this is disappointing for me because I was hoping to avoid you and, and most other good players um, this season. But you and I are in the Champions League, which, man, that's going to be just a bloodbath in that draft. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool and not cool at the same time. Um, it's really cool uh, because it's, I mean, at least for me, it's it's for sure the toughest redraft league I've ever been in because, you know, not only, I mean, there, there's a lot of great owners in TGFBI, but uh, all 15 of these guys won their leagues last year and you know, to do that, you not only have to, you know, be good at drafting, uh, but you have to be good at in-season management. You have to kind of have that want to to go out there and, and make your moves every week, uh, make sure you're setting a solid lineup. Uh, so putting all 15 of those guys in the same league, I mean, I, I've never played in a league that's going to be that challenging. I mean, I, I think it's going to be tough to find value in the draft, especially early on. Um that's it's it's going to be a blast trying to win that league. I mean that that would be to me right up there with winning, you know, Tout or or Labor or anything. Just winning that that Champions League in TGFBI I think is going to be quite the challenge. On um, the downside, I think it basically takes all of us out of the running for the overall prize, which you know, I think for me and you, we were looking forward to TGFBI to try to win the overall and uh I think that the overall winner has to kind of come with an asterisk this year because, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not talking down to people by saying there's going to be a bunch of dead spots in these leagues, but there's going to be a bunch of dead spots in these leagues, not because people are bad, but because people are going to stop trying in May or June and nobody's going to stop trying in this champions league all season. Uh, And when people kind of uh, stop trying in, in these leagues, it's not, to say that people shouldn't stop trying. I mean, it's fine. Everyone plays in a bunch of leagues. If you're out of it in June and there's no money on the line, I, I get it. But it's so much easier to win the overall or compete in the overall if three or four of the owners in your league are just kind of dead spots where they're not making pickups, they're losing ground in all their categories. Uh, it just kind of makes it, in my mind, borderline impossible for anyone to come out of this Champions League and win the overall. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think the winner, the overall, gets an asterisk this year too. I'm not just saying that as a bitter, you know, former champion, but look, the fact is, is that the playing field isn't even anymore. Right. So. I mean, if you want to do a, a straight, let's find the best owner, then all the leagues have to be random. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to kind of fairly uh, distribute the talent in a way where you can find a, a true overall winner. Now. Like I said, winning this Champions League to me is is basically just as impressive as winning the overall. Yeah, me too. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. But, I think if I won this league, I'd be just as proud as winning the overall last year. Right. I just I don't. I would be surprised if the winner of this Champions League finishes even like top twelve yeah, in the overall. Because we're uh, all going to be taking stats away from each other. You know? Right. Just got a constant, you know take away from everybody else but should be fun regardless but yeah i'm a little disappointed yeah i'm excited to compete against you and then the other 13 owners in that league though i mean it's a, it's a lot of uh really impressive dudes in there and you know obviously to to have won just your league last year 
you know, obviously you had a, a good year and I think everyone's going to even up their game even more because everyone's probably like thinking the same thing as us. Like, Oh crap. Like I, I'm not yeah. <laughs> like I, like you, I was kind of looking forward to, you know, almost hoping I didn't recognize anyone in my league and just be like, Oh man, I'm beating up be, on some rookies. <laughs> might yeah. be able to do well in this league. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's going to be tough, but yeah, it will be fun. Also real quick before we sign off, congratulations to you on the, the first ever Tot Wars um, league. Excited oh, yeah. that you're in, man. I was saying this the other day. I mean, you're as deserving as anybody, so I'm pumped that you're in. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's the draft and hold league, so uh, won't be able to go out to New York this year to hang out with everyone. I think that draft and hold thing starts up uh, – I actually think it starts Valentine's Day. Uh, oh, yeah. I think Todd emailed me about that today, but – um, that'll be fun to just kind of, I mean, I'm going to overanalyze the the hell out of all my picks in that slow draft. So, um, looking forward to that. Yeah. Looking forward to talking with you more, James, about prospects and your top team and TGFBI as the season progresses. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with you next week on the Roadwire prospect podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.